I have returned to uh, the glorious Queen City of Cincinnati, Ohio. We've played many times at the, at the uh, uh, Playhouse in the Park, but um, we're now being hosted by the Cincinnati Shakespeare Company, which is hosting the 2018 conference for the Shakespeare Theater Association, of which the Radio Shakespeare Company is now a proud, proud member. Um, so I get to talk about, I get to talk to all these Shakespeare nerds for an entire weekend, and I'm having enormous fun. And, and, and the first, and may I say the tallest Shakespeare <laughs> nerd that I've been talking to so far is Ann Morgan, the literary manager of American Shakespeare Center in Stanton, Virginia, um, who is in charge of their new play program called Shakespeare's New Contemporaries, which she's going to tell us about. But before she does, I just want to ask, could I be considered one of Shakespeare's new contemporaries? Absolutely. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, whatever it is, wherever you are. Thanks for subscribing, streaming, or downloading and listening to us on your computer or tablet or phone. I'm Austin Titchener, one-third of the Reduced Shakespeare Company, and you're listening to this week's Reduced Shakespeare Company podcast, number 579, Shakespeare's New Contemporaries. Ann Morgan is the literary manager of the American Shakespeare Center in Stanton, Virginia, which has created the Shakespeare's New Contemporaries Project, a groundbreaking undertaking to discover, develop, and produce a new canon of 38 plays inspired by and in conversation with Shakespeare's originals. Anne sat down with me at this year's Shakespeare Theater Association Conference, hosted by Cincinnati Shakespeare Company, to discuss the origins of this very exciting project, its ultimate scope, and what's involved with administrating this wide-ranging, blind-reading, open-application process. Shakespeare's New Contemporaries uh, can be considered any living writer who is engaging with Shakespeare's text in some way. Um, our Shakespeare's New Contemporaries project is a project to um, do 38 world premieres of plays by these living writers mm -hmm. that are inspired by or in conversation with each of Shakespeare's 38 plays. So it'll be 38 plays over the next 20 years. This is a massive project. Did you? How did I, I kind of? How did it start? Did you get? A, did somebody with a ton of money roll up and say, "Hey, do this," or was it born from the from the theater? It was born from the theater. It came out of a strategic planning process. We, um, I say we. I hadn't started there at the time. Um, <laughs> well, but, we'll talk about that too in a second. Um, but the conversations were about where the company wanted to go and how we wanted to continue to deepen and layer the work that we were doing. Mm -hmm. um, I think. I think one of the things that makes one of the many things that makes this project unique is that we are asking writers to engage with things that are at the heart of our mission, which is a larger company of actors, 10 to 12 actors. We are asking them to write for Shakespeare's staging conditions of universal lighting and audience engagement um, and all of those sorts of things. Um, so we're asking writers to not only um, be inspired by Shakespeare's plays, but also the way he thought about what he was writing for. 
Well, and this, this, you, what did you say? Thirty-eight plays. Thirty-eight plays over the next twenty years. Over the next twenty years, but well, you, you look very fit. You might, you might survive this. Um, Maybe. Yeah. Well, uh, uh, but this is a massive project. So you're, you're rolling this out a few four plays at a time, right? What, what, what's the, what's the first wave of plays that you're looking for companions to? Sure. So each round of applications, we will be looking at four Shakespeare titles. From those four titles, depending on what is submitted to us, we will select two companion plays, um, and the two uh, lonely Shakespeare plays will go back in the pot and cycle around okay. in, in the future. Um, so the first round of plays, uh, the deadline is February 15th. Um, it's Henry IV, Part One, Merry Wives of Windsor, The Winter's Tale, and A Comedy of Errors. Oh, so if, so if you've got a Falstaff play kicking around, that could have, that could work for a couple of those plays. Good. If you've got a comedy about twins percolating, that could work. But February fifteenth—that's pretty pretty soon. Yes, uh, we have uh, also announced our round two titles, which um, will be accepted from June one through August one of twenty eighteen. Um, those titles are Henry Four Part Two, uh, Othello, uh, Cymbeline, and Midsummer Night's Dream. Once we are, we're only a few months into this project, yeah. but once we're further into it, we will be announcing the Shakespeare titles about a year or to a year and a half prior to the deadline so that writers have time to think about the plays and really uh, write something specifically for the project. And how, can you tell us how you came aboard on this project? Uh, and more importantly, why? <laughs> um, I can't, I, the why is because it's a really exciting program. I think it is going to transform the work we're doing at ASC. And I think beyond that, I think it has the power to transform contemporary playwriting in this country. Um, guaranteed world production, $25,000 prize, larger cast than most theaters are willing to produce. Um, so that's really exciting to me. Um, and I, you know, I saw the job posting and I, my background is in new plays and I was like, I don't know about Shakespeare. And then I saw this project and was like, hold on, I like have to get this. And what was your previous gig? I was the literary manager and dramaturg at the Eugene O'Neill Theater Center in Waterford, Connecticut. One of the most prestigious uh, organizations for new playwriting for the last 50 years. I mean, yeah. that's a humongous job that you already had. Um, I, you might be the only person who could have taken over this project. Well, and one of the things, um, in addition to the project being really exciting, at the O'Neill, um, I developed a lot of relationships with writers around the country. We were seeing applications of thousands of plays each year, um, and the ones we selected got a workshop, which is really satisfying but that's not what plays ultimately want to be. Or so, need. Exactly. Yeah. A workshop is helpful, but you need the full production. And right. so um, one of the things I'm really looking forward to is being able to have a play be submitted to us through the application process and really see it all the way through to that world premiere production. So that's very exciting to me. Yeah, you really are growing it from the ground up. I mean, it's like, explain to me <laughs> how, how this differs from a, from a commission. Sure, so it's an open application process, which means anyone in the world, and we have had international applications already, anyone in the world can write a play for this project and send it to us, and it will be read from cover to cover. Sometimes that's a challenge. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I, we, all of us at ASU, believe really, really strongly that... Um, that an open application process will allow writers who might not 
I know a lot of people writing plays, but I don't know everybody writing plays. Right. And I don't know, you know, if you if you don't have an agent or you don't have a fancy degree, it's harder for those writers, even if they're doing really great work, it's harder for them to be discovered and an open application process um, can help that. I should also mention that it's a blind reading process, which means that our selection committee is totally blind, which is good. <laughs> that's going to be a problem. So you need to submit it in Braille. Okay, that's good. I hope it says that on your website. <laughs> what that means is uh, oh, <laughs> that our readers have no idea who wrote the play. Yeah. Um, so any sort of unconscious bias is for the most part, hopefully removed, um, and they're judging just the text. And you say, our readers, you don't just, it's not just you. <laughs> You'd go insane. No, it is not just me, thankfully. Um, we have a number of volunteer readers, um, all, most of whom are affiliated with ASC in some way. Mm -hmm. um, they've either acted for us or directed for us and or uh, are just super fans who come to every show and, and love us. Um, and. We, they are only being asked to read plays that they know the Shakespeare play oh, right. for. Sure, sure. You know, I had never read Merry Wives before I rolled into Stanton four mm -hmm. months ago. Um, so there people who don't know one of the titles that we're looking at will only read the ones they do know. Well, and I'd be hard pressed to tell you the difference in, I guess, theme, tone, focus, emphasis between Henry IV I and Henry IV II. And yet you will get submissions for each of those plays rather than one play inspired by both parts of Henry IV. So it's kind of up to the playwright what he or she depends, uh, um, takes away from those plays and inspired by. Absolutely. And, you know, you could submit the same play mm. for two different titles. So I've had writers email me and say, like, this play is mostly inspired by Hamlet, but also it has a little bit of this and a little bit of that. Can I send it in? And I'm like, it's really your call. Um, uh, yeah. How people, how writers choose to interpret the call for plays is um, something we're still exploring and figuring out. I'm Andy Zaltzman, co-host of The Bugle Podcast, and you are listening to the Reduced Shakespeare Company Podcast. Well done. Where can you RSC the RSC? This week, our 2018 tour of William Shakespeare's long-lost first play, Abridged, continues in Hillsdale, Michigan, then continues on to Tallahassee, Florida, South Padre Island, Texas, Livermore, California, Bluebell, Pennsylvania, Hayes, Kansas, Indianapolis, Indiana, La Crosse and Madison, Wisconsin, the New Victory Theater in New York City, and the Pittsburgh Public Theater next June. We'll also be doing one performance this spring of the Bible, the Complete Word of God abridged in Orono, Maine in March, and Pop-Up Shakespeare is in its second printing and continues to be on sale worldwide. As always, the very best way to stay up to date about all of our worldwide performance dates is to sign up for the Reduced Reader, our email newsletter. Go to ReducedShakespeare.com and click on the link to subscribe and check out our touring page for specific box office, venue, and ticket information. And now back to my conversation with Ann Morgan, literary manager of the American Shakespeare Center. Tell me a little bit about American Shakespeare Center. Uh, it, it's, I know it's, it's been in Stanton, Virginia for a very long time, and it's a recreation of Blackfriars Theater, and, and you adhere to what we call original staging practices. Can you talk more about all of that? Sure. So the Blackfriars in Stanton is um, the, I believe, the only recreation of the indoor theater that 
that Shakespeare and his company would have used. Everybody knows all about the Globe. I think fewer people know about the Blackfriars. Right. Um, and it's a beautiful, beautiful space. Everyone should come to Stanton and see it. Um, and what we do there embraces what would have happened in the Blackfriars, which is we leave the lights on. Mm -hmm. um, we have a company of 10 to 12 actors who are doing multiple plays in rep. So right. th Thursday night it's Hamlet, Friday night it's Richard II, and so on and so forth. Um, doubling and cross-gender casting, mm -hmm. um, live music before uh, before the show mm -hmm. and um, during the break, and the audience is not only on three sides in a thrust, but also because we can see them, because they can see us. There are moments um, where they become part of the play, right. either through physical contact, through uh, direct address. There are many different ways in which we sort of bring the audience in and make them a part of the play. And but but wasn't my understanding? You said universal lighting. Wasn't my understanding that the Blackfriars was one of the first places they were able to use candlelight? Mm -hmm. And what weren't they? That were, wasn't that one of the places where they were first able to kind of focus the audience's attention with the use of light. There's a little bit of that um, in the in the historical record um, that the, the torch man could come through it oh, during the break, um, and that's something we haven't really explored very much in mm -hmm. our past, and that's something we are only just now starting at. To play with uh, so in our, this upcoming season, so we'll, well so, see how that goes. Well, so our, our 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 awareness of our understanding of original staging practice continues to continues to evolve. Exactly, yeah. exactly. It's uh, it's an ongoing conversation that we are having. That is so cool. Um, and, and, and tell me about yourself. How, do, how, how does one become a literary manager? At six, did you have lots of diaries and you kept them? And you said, well, I want to grow up to be a literary manager. Where does that come from? Um, I did not know the word literary manager when I was six. Um, but I, I was always a voracious reader, um, sort of inhaled books growing up. Um, and I started out as an actor uh, in elementary and middle school and like knew pretty quickly on that I was terrible, but knew that there was something about the theater that I wanted to be a part of. Okay. And so I kept with it. Um, and by sort of the later half of high school, I had transitioned more towards directing um, because then I was thinking more sort of, um, about the story as a whole, rather than my part in the story. Mm -hmm. um, and it was junior year of high school, I remember this very first time I heard the word dramaturg ever, and was like, wait, that sounds pretty cool. Oh. Um, and, and you went, wait, turd or turg? <laughs> exactly, <laughs> exactly. Um, You've read a few dramaturgs, I'm guessing. More than a few, more than a few. Um, and then, so when I got to college, I went to Emerson College in Boston, which had a, has a great sort of choose-your-own-adventure theater degree and sort of studied directing and dramaturgy. And um, it became more and more clear to me that how stories work and how, the ways in which we can tell stories um, through the theater um, was not only what I was passionate about, but sort of where my natural interests and skills lay. Um, and then I sort of gravitated more and more to working with living writers. Um, That's a whole different skill. It, it's a lot of fun. I really like it. Uh, and so now I've found myself at a place named after a dead writer. Uh, <laughs> so we're going to bring some living writers into the place, too. But as far as we know, you had nothing to do with his death. <laughs> as far as I know. As far as I know. 
One of the things that's been really interesting to me as I sort of try to catch up to all of the Shakespeare uh, scholarship um, is these conversations about text and the way we talk about Shakespeare's text um, feels very similar to the way we talk about living writers who are constantly in the process of rewriting. Mm. Shakespeare rewrote and we don't, he's not around for us to say which of these two things did you want to do, um, but it's still very much, you learn from your audiences, you learn from your actors, um, and so that's been a really fun bridge for me to discover. That's it for this week's Reduced Shakespeare Company podcast. Send us your Shakespeare inspirations via email to feedback at reducedshakespeare.com. You can also engage with us and other fans on Facebook or Twitter. You can find easy links to all these social networks at our website, reducedshakespeare.com. You can also follow me on Twitter, at Austin Titchener, and the American Shakespeare Center is on Twitter, too, at ShakespeareCTR. Thanks, as always, to Shakespeare's old and getting older contemporary Matthew Croak, Web Surfaces by Ginger Power Limited, music by John Weber and Garage Band. Our random fan shout-out this week goes to Aileen Payne. No reason, it's just random. Special thanks to Andy Zaltzman, creator and host of The Bugle Podcast, the world's only audio newspaper for a visual world, which is appointment listening for me every week and should be for you, too. And finally, thanks very much to you for listening. I'm Austin Titchener, 579-1737ths of the Reduced Shakespeare Company. That's so very cool because you and your work at American Shakespeare Center are proving the joke that we have always told, which is that Shakespeare is America's greatest living playwright. He is. <laughs> he is. And now we're going to find him some new contemporaries. This podcast is a production of the Reduce Shakespeare Company. Reducing expectations since 1981. Go to ReduceShakespeare.com for performance dates, actor bios, email newsletters, and so much less. And so much less. And so much less. And so much less. And so much less.